Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, once again, we ask that in these moments, you would come and do the work that you have been commissioned to do. That you would come and do that which was recorded in John. You would be our teacher today. And that you would guide us into all truth. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you again. Um, I don't know about you, but our house is in full fall swing mode right now. We, uh, If you have children, you're probably like us. We're all ramped back into the fall season. And I think we're about uh, three weeks into the fall school year right now. And we're doing all of the uh, getting all of our calendars connected and trying to figure out all the activities and things that are happening. And and just this last week, uh, we we uh, did one of those fall rites of passage that comes with every school year. We did the open house at school. You guys remember those open house? You go, you meet the teacher, you see all the little things that they the kids are working on. You get to go visit the classroom and you sit in the little chair, which is really interesting, trying to get up. And then um, you see, the, the again, the projects. You talk to the teacher. She gives the presentation. You walk down the hall, stop at the principal's office, ask them to be changed to a different teacher. And then it's, it's just all that kind of thing. And it's really, it was really a, a good time. We got to see what's going on. We have three kids in, in elementary school right now. They're at uh, Ridgefield. And it was a good time to go down and, and do that. Um, we... As we were doing that, you know, you can't help but think about your own experiences in school and your own experiences as a child. And uh, later this week, as I was putting this message together, I thought of some of the teachers and the the counselors and coaches that were uh, in my life as I went to school up through elementary school and on on through through college. Mrs. Vite was my third grade teacher, and that class was awesome because in that class. She was allergic to chalk. So we were the only class that had the whiteboard thing, you know, with the markers and all that kind of stuff. So we were like really cool, you know. We were, you know, you see all the other kids, we'd look out the window and laugh at the kids pounding the chalk erasers against the wall. Not us, we had the marker board and it was cool. So we had to take care of that and do all that. Mrs. Vite's class, third grade. Middle school. Um, I remember Mr. Wagner was my homeroom teacher, had him for three years homeroom all the way through middle school. Uh, he also taught social studies in one of the grades. And what was cool about Mr. Wagner was he was the keeper of the sound system. All right. So anytime our school did, we did a middle school dance. You guys remember those awkward moments standing in the corner? Um, whenever we had those middle school dances, well, Mr. Mr. Wagner had to pull the sound system and test it, you know, during school. So during homeroom, he'd be up there, you know, scratching records and making, well, he didn't really scratch, um, playing the records and making sure everything was all set. To this day, I, I'm not even joking, to this day, if I hear particular 80s songs on the radio, it rushes me right back to that middle school homeroom, and I can give you the time frame of when that 80s song was because of Mr. Wagner's classroom. Miss Burroughs was our home ec teacher. Uh, Miss Burroughs is now married and actually part of uh, First Alliance. But uh, back then she was my home ec teacher. And um, I loved home ec. I don't know about you guys. Home ec was like really cool because you got food. So like, why wouldn't you want to sign up for that? I don't understand. But anyway, 
there is this section that we had to do in the class that was a sewing section, and uh, I got an A in the sewing section. Um, now, you have to understand, I had a lot to live up to because my father was a professional tailor. So, you know, if I came home and got an F in the sewing section, I could be in big trouble on that one. So, anyway, Miss Burroughs was great with, uh, with Home Ec. I remember when I got to high school, um, <clears throat> Jack Bestwick was my football coach. I don't know if any of you guys have followed high school football in the region back in the day. Um, but Jack Bestwick was my coach, and I absolutely loved playing football for Jack Bestwick. He was kind of like the Paul Bear Bryant kind of type, just kind of just very loud, very passionate, very driven, very in your grill and in your face all the time about playing the game and how to teach it and how to coach it and all that kind of stuff. It was great. I remember, to this day, I remember, I, can, I still go to Fairview games, and I remember almost every time I'm there, um, at the end of one of the games I was playing in, we were switching, not the end of the game, at the end of the quarter, we were switching fields. He caught me at about the 20-yard line, ran with me the whole way down the field, just John in my ear the whole way down the field. Everything I was doing wrong that night. Words of encouragement, I'm sure. But um, <clears throat> just great. But you know what? There was something about that that I just loved. I just was drawn to that. Um, and just absolutely to this day, I think to this day, if I saw him and he blew a whistle, I'd, I'd charge a hill. Just tell me where we're going. Um, I would do that. I had the opportunity uh, last year. I saw him at a at a football game, and I had the opportunity to introduce my son to him, and sat down next to him and just thanked him for his the way he taught us and the way he coached us um, and the way he challenged us because he really did instill in us an inner drive and desire. Coach Bestwick. In college, we had a professor named Dan Everett, and Dr. Dan was a great guy. Um, his first year teaching was my freshman year. So when we graduated, it was his first full class that went through. And uh, Dr. Dan was so cool. He was just a student favorite because he was really down to earth and he just really got into the lives of the students and really liked the students and was just real. He wasn't pretentious. He, didn't, he wasn't standoffish. He just, he just talked real life to them. He's a professed Bob Dylan fan. And so he would drop quotes of Bob Dylan in his teachings. And so we never knew if it was Jesus or Dylan that was, you know, and, and even at graduation, he somehow he dropped in a Bob Dylan quote. So that was Dr. Dan and Mr. Collier. Mr. Collier was the Jack Bestwick of the New Testament department at Toccoa Falls. And he was just, he was just hard. He was just, he was one of the hardest professors I've ever had. And it was always a challenge. And it was one of those deals where if you knew, you, you wanted to register like first uh, for your classes so you didn't get him, you know, to avoid him. And um, I mean, he was, the bottom line was he was just hard. He was driven. He was passionate about exegeting the New Testament and teaching that to his students. And um, he would make young girls cry. They would be leaving the office crying and joking about that. And um but he was just driven in what he did. And he instilled that in the students that would listen and hear his heart. He would instill that into our hearts and into our lives as well. Now, as I just rattled off all those teachers and coaches that were in my life, I'm sure many of you sat there thinking about the teachers and coaches that were in your life. The teachers that inspired you, that challenged you, that drove you, that pushed you. That, you know, some of them you might say, uh, you are who you are today because of their influence in their life. Or 
Um, you are who you are today because of the way they pushed you and challenged you. And I'm sure many of us can, can even still today hear their voice in our head. We, we can hear what they say. We hear their tone. We hear their inflection. We hear their cadence. We hear their passion as they teach on a certain subject or a certain topic. And, and that just sticks with us um, in our lives. And um, it's one of those things that, that even though um, we're not with them anymore, they're, they're still around. In fact, it's probably a bit embarrassing, but even, even when I'm at the gym to this day, if I'm at the gym and I'm lifting weights and trying you know pound out 700 pounds on the bench, um, not really, just trying to make it through the day, um, I'll hear my coach screaming in my ear, you know, telling me to try harder, do it again, pound it out. And that just motivates me. I know it's weird, but it's one of those guy things. But um, the thing that I'm trying to drive at is even though they're no longer present in our lives, there is still something that's lasting from their effect and influence on us. Even though they're not present, even though we're not with them all the time, something lingers in us from their influence in our lives. In John chapter 14 and chapter 16, Jesus is with his disciples. He's preparing them for the time that is fast approaching when when he will no longer be with them. In the context of John 14, 16, Jesus is, is as as the the pictures of that passage move rapidly from one to the other, they're they're going from the upper room where they've had the Last Supper towards towards the Garden of Gethsemane and ultimately that later that evening and into the next morning to the cross. That's the picture of John 14 and 16. And so as Jesus is saying these things, I mean, his death is imminent. And he's preparing his followers that he will no longer be with them physically. He will no longer be around them. And so he's, he's challenging them and preparing them for what, what it will be like in those times. Turn with me, if you will, to that passage. John chapter 14, we're going to look at verse 26 to start. John chapter 14, verse 26. In the opening message of this series, we're now in week three of a five-part series called Overflow. The whole point of this series is, a, is a, to take a look at the, the person and the work and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Realizing that if we would tap into and realize what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives, our life would be a life that overflows with God's goodness and blessing and richness, not only for eternity, but here today. Today, God wants us to live a life of victory. Today, God wants to bless our lives with His goodness and His direction and His blessing. So in that first uh, sermon a couple weeks ago, I, I talked about the fact very quickly and moved on from it though, that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not a ghost or a goblin. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling or an emotion. The Holy Spirit is a person who has a specific job to do in the hearts and in the lives and in the spirits of those who profess to be Christian. Jesus here explains some of what the Holy Spirit is about and what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. He says this in verse 26, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus opens, uh, Jesus opens this conversation about 
the Holy Spirit by indicating that the Spirit is a counselor. The word in the Greek is parakletos, and it actually means one who comes alongside to give assistance, to aid, to support someone. So the Holy Spirit is our supporter, our aid. He walks alongside of us as a help or as a guide. In particular reference to the Holy Spirit, Jesus says this about the counselor. This counselor that he will send is to be our teacher. He says that he will teach us, you, the disciples, us, all things. There's nothing really... um, over, over the top about the language that Jesus is using here, it's pretty simple and straightforward that the Holy Spirit is the teacher of all things. He is the one who teaches us the truths of God. He is the one who teaches us correct doctrine. And so as we study God's Word, whether we're in a, a church worship setting under a pastor or we're in a classroom setting under an instructor, Truly, it is the Holy Spirit that speaks with our spirit to teach us what it is that is true and what it is that is right. He is the teacher of all things. He is the teacher of correct doctrine. The Holy Spirit for us illuminates the Word of God to our hearts and to our minds today. It's not so much of new revelation as it is a uh, illumination of what has already been taught uh, by Christ and recorded by the disciples. If you think about it like this, in the context of John 14 and 16, as Jesus talks to his disciples and is telling them this, they are actually writing at that time the New Testament. They don't have the New Testament to refer to and look at their life, what they're living, that moment is the New Testament that we now read. So for them, the Holy Spirit would come and reveal truth to them that they would then take and record. And so over a period of time, we stand now at the other end of this published work, the Word of God, and it is not new revelation to us. It is illumination to us of what God has already spoken and taught about through the character and the person and the priorities of Christ and the teachings of the apostles and the writers of those other books Uh, throughout the New Testament. So for us, it's illumination. As we read God's Word today, He turns on the light in our hearts and in our minds. He flips the switch and it makes sense to us. I get it now. When the Holy Spirit is active and moving in our hearts and in our lives, He flips the switch. He turns on the light. When we are willing to be open to His guiding, He shows us the truth of what God says. He is our teacher. The second thing that Jesus said in that verse is that the Holy Spirit also reminds us of everything He has said. The instructions and teachings of Christ through the Holy Spirit, are not lost on us. We don't have to wonder what Jesus said or how He acted or how He lived. The Holy Spirit comes and reminds us of all of who Christ is. He does it day in and day out. As we live our lives and as we move through the day, as we move through the week, the Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit and reminds us of what it is to be Christian. The Holy Spirit reminds us of what it is that Christ would do in this situation. 
The Holy Spirit comes and reminds us of the promises of God. The Holy Spirit comes and reminds us of Scripture passages that are meaningful and meant for us in that moment that we find ourselves in. The Holy Spirit reminds us of how we should live our lives. This is how we can resist temptation. And this is how we can stand against the world. And this is how we can grow in our character and in our, in our own spirit, we are reminded of the teachings of Christ through the Holy Spirit. We do not get to walk through life claiming to be unaware of how to handle ourselves or to come across a situation of temptation or challenge and find ourselves giving into it, stepping back and then saying, oh, I didn't know that was, that was going to happen. I didn't know that would be the result. I didn't know that if I entered into this relationship, it would be not right. I didn't know that if I uh, lived my life in this particular way or in this particular direction, I didn't realize that all of these things would happen to me. We don't get the luxury of saying that. There's absolutely no room for excuse because the Holy Spirit comes and reminds us. He reminds you, this is the teaching of Christ. This is the character of Christ. This is the priority of Christ. This is how you should live. At every moment, at every turn, the Holy Spirit is available to us to remind us to live a life that is godly, to live a life that is righteous, to live a life that is holy. For instance, perhaps some of you today are wrestling with something in your own heart. That for the past number of weeks or months or years, the Holy Spirit has just been gently knocking on your heart and saying, Remember, this is how Christ would deal with this. This is how God has asked us to live. And maybe for some of you today, you just need to allow that teaching and that reminding of the Holy Spirit to take root in your life, and you just need to surrender to that. You need to stop the, 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 the internal fighting and the war that we talked about last week that battles within us. Because the Holy Spirit's going to keep reminding you This is the truth of God. This is what He says. And so truly, we live without excuse. He is our counselor. He is our teacher. He is one who walks alongside of us, reminding us of Christ's words and illuminating our minds of the truths of Scripture. He is also the agent of peace. In verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The word peace, the word shalom in the Hebrew is really a full word. It doesn't have a simple uh, uh, one sentence definition. It's not that, you know, hey, I hope nothing bad happens to you today. You know, have peace today as you go home. Don't get hit by a truck. You know, not that idea. It, It carries that, you know, I hope nothing bad happens to you. But it also has the idea of, I want you to experience the full goodness of life that is available to you. I want you to experience the goodness of life and the fullness that is available to you. And John MacArthur says it this way, it is, the, it is a goodness of life that isn't touched by the circumstances of life. Peace. It is a goodness of life that isn't touched by the circumstances of life. He continues, it's the settled positive peace that affects the circumstances of life. It is a peace that is so aggressive 
that rather than being victimized by events, it attacks events and gobbles them up. It is an aggressive peace. Now, if you're not into all that macho aggression, think of it this way. It's a tranquil state of a soul. A tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so, fears nothing from God and is content with the earthly lot, whatever it may be. My soul is at peace. My soul is quiet. There's a tranquility in my life and in my heart because of Christ's work. I do not need to fear God. And if I don't have to fear God, I don't have to fear what happens in my life. I don't have to fear circumstances. I don't have to be afraid of the unknown. I don't have to be afraid of of the, the unanswered questions. Because God, through the Holy Spirit, has applied peace to my life as I walk in this relationship with Him. I kind of like MacArthur's aggressive comments. I'm sure that surprises you. It's an aggressive peace. We are not victimized. God's peace attacks our situations and pursues the highest good for our lives making us content for whatever our lot in life is because we have nothing to fear. We do not have to live as victimized people. My life is so terrible. My life is so horrible. I don't know the answers. I don't know where I'm going. Woe is me. My life stinks. That's not what God says. God says, I have given you peace and that peace should actively and aggressively pursue the situations that you live in. Do you have unanswered questions? Yes. Are there clouded issues in the future? Yes. But we have a peace from God that resides within us, a peace that gobbles up all of those fears, conquers all of those issues, and gives us victory every single day. We don't have to fear. Because God is our King. And God is in control. Think of it this way. 1,480 workers at General Electric will be permanently laid off, we read in this week's paper. Some of you may be part of that group. And surely many of us, if not most of us, know somebody that will be part of that group. And I don't want in any way to trivialize that situation, but I want to say this, that God offers peace to the heart of every single one of those workers because of Christ. And the Holy Spirit, for those who have asked Christ to be the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life, the Holy Spirit applies that peace to their hearts. A peace that says, with Christ as my King, I will fear nothing in this life. Even though the future is unseen, even though the future is not clear, there is a peace that washes over us. There is a peace that guides us. I don't have the answer. I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I have the peace of God in my heart that I don't have to be afraid and I don't have to worry because He will guide and He will direct and I will live at peace. It's a nice theoretical statement, 
but is it real? Does that really happen in our everyday life? I'm going to take a risk this morning, and I'm going to, in a moment, ask for a show of hands. I want to know how many of you have ever faced a situation, a circumstance, or a season of life where there was fear, there were unanswered questions, the unknown was just that, unknown. You had no idea how something was going to turn out or where you were going. But you didn't give in to fear. You rested in the peace of God. The peace of God washed over you. And you knew in your heart that God would take care of you and God would bring you out on the other end better and growing closer to Him because of that. How many of you have ever experienced that? Look around the room. This is the witness. This is the testimony that this is true. The peace of God. When we allow the Holy Spirit to have control and do His job in our hearts, gives us peace about whatever situation we are facing. I don't know the answer for you. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I can't promise you that on the other end you will like it. I can promise you this. That God gives you peace to go through it. And that whatever is happening in our lives, under His authority, under His control, our spirit can be at rest. He fights for us. He battles the fear. His peace gobbles up those fears and unknowns. You may not work at GE and your job may be secure, but there are other issues in your life that may bring a sense of unsettledness, uneasiness, frustration, angst, fear, depression, or a number of unanswered questions. But know this, the peace that Christ brings is available to you through the presence of of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is His job. This is what He is to do in your life and in my life. Jump with me to chapter 16. Jesus continues this idea of the Holy Spirit being our counselor our paraclete, the parakletos that comes alongside and guides us and assists us and, and, and helps us in life. And he says this in chapter 16, beginning in verse 7. I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I, go, that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. In regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. In addition to be our, being our teacher and the one who reminds us of the teachings of Christ and the agent of peace, the Holy Spirit as counselor is also the one who convicts us regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. Again, there's nothing out of the ordinary about this, this idea of conviction. It is, 
It is that I sent, it is that sense of showing someone their faults with a suggestion of shame. That's what conviction is. I am, I feel convicted when my fault is shown to me and I have shame because of it. And this is the job of the Holy Spirit, especially in the areas of sin, righteousness, and judgment. As the Holy Spirit reveals the truth of God, people and we are convicted regarding judgment. Regarding judgment because, as verse 11 says, the prince of this world now stands condemned. We can live assured and we live under the understanding that Satan stands judged and condemned already through the cross. It hasn't happened yet. The judgment has not been um, levied against him. The final destination is not there. We're not at the end yet, but we know this, that through the cross, the enemy, Satan, the evil one, stands not only condemned, but judged already. Amen? We do not have to wrestle with that. We know that. And the Scripture writers, the New Testament writers, speak to that. And in Revelation chapter 3, uh, excuse me, chapter 20, verse 10, says this, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. The eternal destiny, the eternal judgment of the enemy of Satan, the evil one, is already secured. What's really interesting as a side note, if I can give you this for free, I just thought of it this morning as I was between services. Jesus said that before he even went to the cross. Chew on that this afternoon. Satan is already condemned. We stand on this side of the New Testament and say Jesus, is, Jesus died on the cross, was buried in a grave, was resurrected to new life, had victory over the enemy, and because of that, we know, we know that the enemy stands condemned already. As we know that, and as the Holy Spirit teaches that, He convicts us. And He says, if this enemy is already condemned and judged, so are you. So are we. For those who have not given our hearts and lives to Christ to be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life, we're already judged. We're already condemned. And until we die, we have the opportunity to change that end result for us. We have the opportunity to ask Him to be the forgiver of our sins and to lead our life. We have the opportunity to one day stand before God and have Him open a book called the Book of Life and have our name found in it. Go back and read Revelation chapter 20. It's in that context. See, we already stand condemned if we live apart from Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit's work to convict us of judgment. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict us of righteousness as well. Sometimes we walk through life thinking that we can be righteous, that we can, we can uh, earn our own uh, salvation, that we can earn merit in the eyes of God, that we can do something. There's something that we can do so that God will be pleased with us. There's something that we can 
some activity or action we can perform or, or build or construct that God will then look at us and go, oh yeah, you know what? That's great. Your sins are forgiven. But that's not God's plan and that's not God's path. God, through His Holy Spirit, convicts us regarding righteousness and tells us that only Christ is righteous. That only Christ is the one who is able to pay the penalty of sin. That only Christ is the one who is righteous enough to cover our sin and our shame and present us before God clean and pure and restore that relationship. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict us in that manner. Paul reminds us of that in Romans chapter 3 when he says this, The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. There's nothing we can do to be righteous in God's eyes apart from placing our faith in Christ to be righteousness for us. When I try to be righteous, when I try to show God how good I am, the Holy Spirit convicts me. He says it's not about what you do. It's about what Christ has already done. The Holy Spirit convicts regarding judgment. The Holy Spirit convicts regarding righteousness. The Holy Spirit convicts regarding sin. MacArthur indicates it's interesting in this passage that, that the word sin is singular. It's not plural. So as Jesus is saying this to his, to his disciples, he says that the Holy Spirit convicts us because of sin, because they don't believe me. They don't believe in me. It seems to indicate that, that not only does the Holy Spirit convict us of the sins, the, the actions that we do on a day-to-day basis and, and fall short of God's uh, uh, plan and goal for our lives and fall short and live in sin. Not only does the Holy Spirit convict us of that, but it seems, especially in this passage, that the Holy Spirit's convicting us of the sin of not believing in Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of man. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of our need for Christ to be our Savior. And to me, it's sad. It's a sad day when we feel as though the Holy Spirit needs our assistance in this area. See, it is the job and it is the role of the Holy Spirit to convict people of sin. It is a sad day when we wake up and we say, you know what? Just in case the Holy Spirit's asleep at the wheel today, I'm going to be the one that lives my life in in such a way that convicts other people. Just in case the Holy Spirit isn't powerful enough to do what God, Jesus Christ, said He would do, I will be the one that speaks to other people in such a way that convicts them of their sin. I will be that one who steps up and steps out and, and speaks against all of these things in a way and in a manner that brings conviction. And I will show people how bad they are. And I will show people how lost they are. And I will show people how, how far from God they are. 
In my mind, that's been some of the problem in the North American church for a long time. It is not our job as the church to convict people of sin. It is our job in the church to love God and to love people. It is our job in the church. It is our job in the church to teach God's truth, all of it, not watering it down, not not making it sound all fluffy and nice. It is our job to teach God's truth, to speak truth into the lives of our family and the friends and the people that live in our neighborhoods, the associates that we have. It is our job when we see an open door, as Paul says, when we see the opportunity before us to speak truth into their lives as a seed in fertile ground, as water that waters that seed in fertile ground. It is our job to speak truth in love and to step back and to let the Holy Spirit do the work that He will in the hearts and the lives of people. That's the job of the church. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. My job is to see those open doors, to see those opportunities. Let me tell you about God's truth. Let me share with you about His Word. Not in a way that apologizes for what God's Word says, but in a loving way that shows them this is for your good. But I think sometimes we miss it. And I think sometimes we think we have to help the Holy Spirit. It is not our job. Church, it is not our job. Our job is to speak truth in love. I want to be real clear this morning. I am not saying that we water down truth at all. Absolutely not. Do not walk out of here and tell Crocker on me. That is not what I'm saying. And Boy, you better hear this. Now we're getting down to it, right? Boy, you better hear this. I am not saying that. We will speak God's truth. We will teach the Word of God. We will teach the full counsel of God. But we do it in a way of, of loving people. It is not my role to condemn people. In fact, John, throughout his writing from chapter 3 on, tells us the world stands condemned already. Those who are apart from Christ are already condemned. I'm not giving them something that they don't know in their hearts already. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life, right? Do we ever read 17? For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stand, whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of. God's one and only Son. And then in John John 16, He says it again. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes and convicts people because they don't believe in Him. It is the role of the church 
to understand the character and the priorities of Christ. It is the role of the church to love God and to love our neighbors. It is clear to me that we are to take advantage of the opportunities and the open doors and to speak the truth of the gospel in the hearts of people, again, as seeds and water to a fertile ground. And then it is the Holy Spirit's work. God moves and speaks to the heart of people. Convicting people is the work of the Holy Spirit. Let us love people. Let us speak the full counsel of God's truth, as hard as it is sometimes, with love. John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, quickly. I have much more to say to you, much more than you can now bear, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. Watch this. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to Me by taking from what is Mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is Mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is Mine and make it known to you. Very quickly, the Holy Spirit is not only our Counselor who teaches and reminds us and is the agent of peace. He's not only our counselor who is the convictor in our hearts and spirits, but he is also the spirit of truth. How can we know truth? How can we know God's truth? We know it through the work of the spirit in our lives. He guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit guides us into what is right, what is correct, and what is true. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us only when the Father and the Son say to speak. So what the Holy Spirit says to us is coming from the Father. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. The Holy Spirit is one who draws close to us to guide us and to help us. I invite our worship band back up at this time as we close. As they come, hear this. Because of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we have an ever-present teacher. We have a guide that walks with us, who speaks to us, who encourages us, who challenges us. We have one who convicts us when we need to be convicted. It is the Holy Spirit who should be convicting us. That is His job. That is His role. And He points us all back to Christ. That is where we find peace. That is where we find truth. In the relationship with Christ, through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Peace and truth. We're in week three of our series. And I think God is continuing to work in the hearts of us, challenging us, moving in us, asking us to to surrender our lives to Him. That we would find peace and truth through the presence of the Holy Spirit if we would just allow Him to have control. 
And so as we close this morning, I want to invite you to make that commitment. If you've been struggling and today is the day, turn it over to the Holy Spirit. Allow Him to have that control in your life. Going to have the, the altar is open if you would like to come and seal that commitment at the altar. You do that as we sing this next song. Wherever you make that commitment, know this, that God's greatest desire for you is to live in abundance of His blessing, of His grace and His goodness. And we only experience that as we listen and give control of our lives to the Spirit. Some of you are thirsty this morning. And I would invite you to find fulfillment in Christ.